If you drive over the causeway from Savannah, Georgia to Tybee Island, you'll notice a small lighthouse in the Savannah River. It captured my interest the first time I saw it. Oftentimes the lighthouse is inaccessible from neighboring Cockspur Island. Residing near Fort Pulaski, the tiny lighthouse has a fascinating history. And maybe even a few ghosts. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. Many of the other stories that we discuss in the episodes are based on some sort of actual history, but this story is different. This one is simply inspired by the setting, so no part of this story is true, It's just something that I was inspired to write. I hope you enjoy. You are not a bad person for the way you tried to kill your sadness. The words etched deep in pen on the bathroom stall gripped my throat like angry fingers, choking. I blinked swallowed hard and took several deep breaths before being able to move again. I stared at the dark circles under my eyes in the mirror, washing my hands with nothing but water since the soap dispenser had long run empty. The words hung in my memory, scrolling across my mind's eye as I slid back into the car. I am not a bad person. The black asphalt swerved under the ancient arms of live oaks, Spanish moss dripping, reaching. Purchasing an old abandoned shack on a tiny island on Georgia's coast had not been on my bucket list, but I was willing to do anything to get closer to the sea. Despite its rusty tin, tired wood siding, and cobwebbed corners, something about the shack's listing online called to me. According to the real estate agent, the place had been abandoned for decades, but amazingly, the old roof still kept the rain out. So I thought, what the hell? Why not? Little did I know, my ghost couldn't be buried that easily. Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse. Just when I believed I'd outran my demons, they'd sneak up again. They'd find me. Always. But none of that had crossed my mind when I first turned the car toward Casper Island. A sun-washed welcome sign greeted me on a lonely road surrounded by marsh. The sun had dipped down into the horizon, leaving me on a long stretch of dark road, searching for an overgrown driveway. 635 Old Casper Highway The address and faded paint caught my attention, A tiny miracle since I'd never seen the place in person, never even been to Casper Island before. I turned the car onto the path. I couldn't even call it a driveway at that point, and stepped out. Just like the real estate agent had promised, the keys sat in the mailbox. Fearing the dirt would be soft since so much of what I'd seen so far was marshland, I drove slow and cautiously deep into the forest of naked trees 
that shot out like ghostly arms from the ground, reaching toward the night sky. I'd never seen anything like them. To my right, I caught a glimpse of the lighthouse, the moonlight bouncing from its reflectors. No light shone from it now. It'd been abandoned since the early 1900s, according to my Google search. The pictures I saw online made it look much more beautiful. But in the dark, it looked spooky, like a misplaced relic from a distant memory. I couldn't help but think how much it reminded me of myself, unkept, aging ungracefully, falling apart, and feeling like I'm trapped in a shadowy place. I shook my head and drove on until the small cabin finally emerged from the wickedly twisted trees. Ah, oh, there you are, I whispered, shutting off the car and stepping out. I grabbed my bag from the back and headed toward the door. The key took some forcing, but I finally managed to get the door open with a slight nudge of my shoulder. The moisture in the air must have caused the wood to swell. The shack had almost nothing going for it, except its proximity to the river and the ocean. Well, that and the price. When you're trying to disappear, you only have so many options. And this was mine. All mine. I flipped on the switch, but the lights didn't come on. Damn, I forgot to call the power company. I found an old lantern on the kitchen table and some matches in the cabinet. As I lit it, I noticed that whoever lived here before had left everything. A dial phone still hung on the wall, and an old television built into a wood cabinet sat in the main room, screamingly reminiscent of the 80s. I didn't mind, though. Having a home away from it all was more important than the decor. There was a loft upstairs with a mattress. I flung my bag onto a wingback chair that sat near the window. The moonlight poured in, causing there to be a strange shadows around the cabin. Even though I was thankful for the space, there was a little bit of eeriness to it. I couldn't be sure if it was because the place was old, abandoned, or just because it was new to me. I pulled a bottle of water out of my bag, slid off my jeans, and crawled into the loft. Thankfully, I had brought my own sheets, but I prayed to God there weren't any bed bugs. Giant hands wrapped around my waist as he pulled me close to him. No one will ever love you like I do. His words were like ice on my neck, and a shiver ran down my spine. I turned to face him, but he didn't look like John anymore. His eyes had grown dark, and his expression wasn't his own. It was rage, as if something else had taken over, stealing him of his own heart. You don't have to worry about anything, John, I promise, I said, pulling away to create space between us. He leaned forward and grabbed my wrist, crunching the bones under his grasp and said, you will never leave me. A clanking noise woke me and I jolted up. My immediate thought was that a raccoon had made its way on the porch, smelling the food I'd brought in my bag. I carefully climbed down the ladder and stumbled to find my jeans. Just as I slid one leg in, a figure of a man appeared in the window. 
he appeared, as in, wasn't there a blink earlier? Our eyes locked. He wore a wide-brimmed leather hat that mostly hid the upper part of his face, but he had a strong jaw and a two-day stubble. Frozen, I didn't know what to do. It took me a moment to realize that I'd only had one leg in my jeans, so I hurried into the other. By the time I zipped and buttoned, he was gone. Hello? I called out as I pushed through the door, bare feet on the dusty front porch. Nothing. Not so much as an animal could be seen, just the nightly music of crickets and creatures of the night. Could he have been the previous owner? It certainly wasn't the real estate agent. I'd seen a photo of him and spoken with him on the phone several times. He drove a Mercedes. Definitely not the two-day stubble, worn, leather hat type of guy. This man appeared to be weather-worn, like he'd worked in the sun his whole life. But maybe it was someone from their office checking in on me to see if I made it all right. Questions swirled, but none of them rang true. Something told me that who I saw was not from any of these scenarios. Seeing him reminded me of something else. Something I couldn't find the words to explain. The moon hung high in the sky, casting a bright gray glow on the world below. The lighthouse seemed almost illuminated. But that couldn't be. It'd been abandoned. The lantern stripped from it long ago or so I'd read online. Yet there it stood, shining, the bright light beaming for everyone to see. I took a few steps toward the lighthouse. Something magnetic pulled me in its direction. Maybe it was curiosity, confusion, I'm not sure what. But it did draw me closer. Everything about the night and the place felt wrong. The trees stretched upward from the muddy marsh. The road snaked around the river, the same river that separated the house and me. The lighthouse stood on its own islet, a lone beacon in the high tide. A splash pulled me from a sort of trance, bringing my attention to my senses again. I stood knee-high in mud, the creepy trees surrounding me and something else. Across the way, I saw a car stopped on the road, its headlights gleaming in the night, looking smoky in the slight fog. More splashing caught my ear and my eyes followed. Someone swam in the river, but the waves lapped and swallowed, tugging them beneath the surface over and over again. Though I hadn't tapped into my lifeguard training since I was a teen, I couldn't let whoever it was drown. I moved as quickly as I could until the mud gave way to water and I rushed to swim toward the person. The current fought me, almost as if it didn't want me to reach her. I saw it was a woman as I got closer. Help, she screamed. I'm coming, almost there, I tried to say, spitting brackish water with every word. I swam behind her, wrapped my arm over her shoulder and around her chest then pulled her until we were both on our backs. Side-stroking, I headed toward the lighthouse, which was south of us, and followed the river's current. No, no, not there, she yelled, 
and resisted me by moving her arms and legs. Stop moving. We have no choice. I can't swim us both across the river. I'm too tired, I told her. She must have realized that I meant it, and we'd both die if I didn't get on ashore soon. My legs ached until they throbbed. The muscles in my arm tensed as they began to cramp. I pushed through the pain and the heavy feeling of my jeans and tea. When we got to the lighthouse, there was no shore. The tide was high and the water surrounded the structure, leaving only a few steps exposed. When we were able to reach the bottom, I let her go, and we both stumbled toward the steps, completely exhausted. I took several deep breaths before glancing her way. Her dark hair wrapped around her forehead, and her skin was so pale it looked gray in the night, making her look like a ghost. Why? Why would you take a swim in the middle of the night? I asked. But something deep within me knew she wasn't here for a swim. She shook her head and leaned against the bricks. You don't understand, she began, pausing to catch her breath. I didn't choose to come out here. It chose me. Her gaze lifted at the lighthouse. The light is out, I said, noticing the darkness of the tower. Every full moon, the lighthouse acts as a siren, she said, her voice low, calling people to brave the waters and go to it. You could have drowned, I said. She shook her head and laughed a little. That's what it wants. It made a deal with the dark water long ago. It'd give it lives if the water would spare it from its wrath. That can't be. Sounds like a legend. I said, wringing the legs of my jeans and looking out toward the little shack I'd claimed as my new home, and remembering the strange feeling of being drawn to the lighthouse earlier. But I wasn't about to get into the river, was I? You're not from here, are you? The woman asked, reading me. I just purchased the shack over there, I told her. She nodded. The last person who lived there drowned and nearly two dozen other people throughout the years have, she said. I bit my lip as I thought about the shack and all of the things that the former inhabitant left untouched. There's a rumor that the first victim of the lighthouse haunts the shack. One of its keepers, Cornelius, drowned when his boat capsized in the 1800s. He had been trying to service the lanterns. His wife took over the duties after that, for a while anyway. Thankfully, she was able to survive the calls. Others haven't been so lucky. And when the lighthouse was decommissioned, it began to seek out those who came near enough to hear the call. People who lived close or happened to be driving by during a full moon. I stood and stared at the lighthouse, wondering if what she said could be true. Did I see Cornelius earlier? Had he been trying to warn me, or save me, or is all of this nothing more than local lore? An eerie chill ran down my spine. The Cockspur Island Lighthouse is the smallest lighthouse in Georgia and was built in 1848. The lighthouse originally had a twin that resided on the opposite side of the Savannah River, 
but with the ravages of the Civil War and the sea, only one of them has survived. It's located on an islet in the Savannah River northwest of Tybee Island and is part of Fort Pulaski National Monument. It's situated 12 miles east of the Savannah Port. The original lighthouse was destroyed by a hurricane in 1854 and was replaced by a somewhat larger one on the same foundation in 1855. The lighthouse is built on a bed of oysters and mussels and is often covered during high tide, with only the lighthouse remaining above water. It's truly a sight to see. One of the unique features of the lighthouse, despite its small size, is that the base of the tower is shaped like the prow of a ship, pointed to reduce the surrounding water's impact on the structure. Before this lighthouse was built, documents suggest that a different one was erected on the island itself between March of 1837 and November of 1839. In 1848, a renowned architect by the name of John Norris was contracted to build a lighthouse. John Norris had a hand in building many of Savannah's amazing structures, including the U.S. Customs House, the Mercer Wilder House, and the Green Meldrum House, where General Sherman resided during the Civil War. Congress approved a total of $5,000 for both the lighthouse, the keeper's residence, and the lamps. The beacon was home to five fixed lamps that shone visible for nine miles. At the beginning of the Civil War, the lights were put out. On April 10th of 1862, Union troops bombarded Fort Pulaski. A 30-hour siege took place with gunfire from both sides and the lighthouse in the direct line of fire. Amazingly, it only suffered minor damage and lived to continue its work as a beacon of the Savannah River. On April 25th of 1866, the lighthouse was relit and painted white to use as a day mark, helping navigate mariners' direction during the daytime hours. Despite having survived so much, storms continued to trouble the little lighthouse. An enormous storm hit Cockspur Island on August 27th of 1881 causing the water to rise 23 feet above sea level. Water filled the tower and destroyed the interior of the keeper's residence. After that, the keepers resided in a two-story cottage atop Fort Pulaski. The first lightkeeper was named John Lightburn. What a name, right? Like he was made for that. He lived on Coxford Island near the fort and would daily visit the two lighthouses to service the lights. The second keeper was James Callan, who noted that the lights often burned for longer than needed because they were dangerous to access during high tide. The third keeper, Cornelius Mayhar, drowned in 1853 when his boat capsized in the river. His wife Mary took the job and then continued to serve as keeper for an additional three years. Cornelius wouldn't be the only one to lose his life servicing the lighthouse. In August of 1871, Keeper Patrick Egan went to service the lighthouse during a terrible storm with his sons, Michael and Thomas. Their boat capsized. Michael and Patrick were able to hold onto the boat, but Thomas drowned, and his body was never recovered. 
By 1909, ships began using the North Channel of the Savannah River exclusively, and the small lighthouse was no longer needed, and it was deactivated. But even the birds found the lighthouse charming. The Lighthouse Service Bulletin reported in 1934 that the lighthouse was home to a pair of bald eagles that had nested there. They were often seen on the abandoned tower perched on its rails. The Coast Guard stopped using the tower as a day mark in 1949, but thankfully the Park Service took over in 1958. The neglected tower then underwent renovations between 1995 and 2000. On March 18th of 2007, the lighthouse was relit, shining the light of its history for all to see once more as a solar-powered beacon. In 2007, the discovery of shipworms threatened the tower once more. With the continuous waves, storms, and tidal erosion, in addition to the shipworms, the lighthouse is now considered a place in peril. The Park Service and the Friends of Coxburgh Island Lighthouse petitioned for federal funds to preserve the land surrounding the lighthouse. It took a while, but the money came and allowed the Army Corps of Engineers to take appropriate measures to protect the land surrounding the lighthouse. The Friends of Coxford Island Lighthouse are now seeking donations to preserve and thoroughly restore the lighthouse itself. Because of the unstable state of the land and tower, it is closed to the public. The best way to see it is by boat. Although visitors can only glance at it from afar, as no one is allowed on the islet, Fort Pulaski National Monument does have a trail that is sometimes open for visitors to get close enough for photos, but because of tidal changes and storms, the trail isn't always open. So if you're visiting, be sure to check with the park for details. There's a darker side of this beacon of light. Some locals believe the tower to be haunted by ghosts from the Civil War or maybe even the ghosts of Keeper's past. Seeing as visitors aren't allowed there, I suppose we'll never know more than what the local lore has told us. But one thing is for sure, this small lighthouse will continue to intrigue all those who pass it. Perhaps something or someone is beckoning us there. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod and Epidemic Sound. If you'd like to see photos and video of the Coxburg Island Lighthouse, be sure to check out Fable Collective's YouTube channel. I'll leave a link in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, access to book giveaways, and more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Fable Collective. Many thanks to Heather for being our newest patron. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>